This week, we're meeting two entrepreneurs with plenty to say about the future of the office. First, we're sitting down with the founder of a world-leading hospitality company founded on the basis of addressing the simple question, what if you ran an office building like a hotel? Convenes CEO is here to share his insights into disrupting commercial real estate, expanding to more than 25 locations across the US, and now putting down and nurturing roots right here in London. Then we'll meet the CEO and co-founder of managed office platform Kit. He's going to explain to us that while you may be able to maintain company culture remotely, to really build it, you need to come together. And it remains the physical workplace that provides the heart of that culture and indeed what all happy employees still need to support their own quests to find purpose in their work. This is The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. Ryan Simonetti is the CEO of Convene, the company he co-founded back in 2009 to disrupt the commercial real estate market and reshape the very ways in which people work. To achieve this, as Ryan will explain, he and his colleagues set out to bring innovative tech and best practice from hospitality to bear on the space. Well, Ryan, welcome to the programme. And let's start, first of all, with how you brought your past experience into the Convene mix. How did you get here? What was your journey even before the Convene story began? Prior to co-founding Convene with my longtime friend who we actually had met in college and had some businesses together there, Chris Kelly, I actually worked in real estate finance for a publicly traded company at the time called Gramercy Capital Corp. I worked on one of our investment teams there, and it just so happened I had spent a lot of time investing in and around office and hospitality, which makes sense if you think about Convene is kind of bringing those two worlds together. And you know, at this time, lifestyle brands were really starting to move across industry and asset class. So Equinox and Fitness, Ian Schrager and the whole boutique hotel movement, what Starwood was doing with W Hotels, Whole Foods in kind of the supermarket space, the start of SoulCycle, a brand that had done very well in the US, but nobody had really brought that thinking or mindset to the workday. And so the thesis for Convene was, well, what if you ran an office building like a hotel and brought design and amenitization and high touch experiences? Could you, one, create a much better experience for tenants and their employees in the building? And then two, could you actually create more value for the owner of the building? Because if Convene was there and these types of services and amenities and infrastructure were in the building, tenants would actually be willing to pay more for space in buildings and they'd also be willing to stay for longer, you know, putting my shoes in an office landlord's seat. You want tenants to stay and you want them to pay, you know, higher rents. And so that was kind of the thesis. And we launched with that in mind back in 2009. Well, yeah. And what's interesting to me is as a successful entrepreneur with a business that's shown a lot of growth and potential, raises a lot of money, you start to kind of move through the gears and then what, I, I guess the sort of huge, you know, moment then what a decade or well, just over a decade in 
you're confronted with something in the pandemic that it has to have been an unforeseen challenge, the scale of it, the nature of it, that disruptive influence on some of the assumptions that that you and Chris will have been operating under, certainly at the founding and through the first decade. Was that like watching a, I don't know, a, a kind of car wreck in slow motion? What was that like if we go back to the early months of 2020? We over almost a little bit over a decade, you know, I think had built a really uh, incredible business with a great brand. We had positioned ourselves in our little sector and, and, you know, part of the industry really, I would say, is kind of the premium hospitality brand serving both, you know, kind of outsourced corporate meeting event and conferencing, but also flexible workspace as well. We were up to 34 locations, almost 2 million square feet. We were a $250 million run rate revenue business, and we were actually in the process of closing a pre-IPO equity round. And the plan was to actually take the business public in 2021. At that time, we had almost a million square feet in development. And, you know, I think we had, despite the noise of WeWork and some of the challenges that that had caused, we had kind of navigated ourselves successfully through that and felt like we were in a really interesting position to accelerate our expansion globally, obviously the UK and London, but also in, in other markets. And literally overnight, 90% of our revenue went to zero and stayed there for almost two years. I've lived through the 2008-2009 financial crisis. I was in a business that was impacted. You know, I started Convene kind of in a challenging, let's call it macroeconomic environment, in particular in New York coming out of that. But no business is prepared for 90% of its revenue to vanish and to stay that way for, you know, almost two years. So Yes, it was a extremely challenging situation, but we thankfully were extremely proactive. We made some really, really tough decisions, in particular on a human level as a leadership team, as a CEO, as a founder that you never want to make. And because of that, we were able to somehow, with support from our partners, kind of navigate the business through the core business was literally shut down pretty much for two years. So it was a crazy life experience. I've never been tested on a personal level like that or as a leader. And thankfully, due to a lot of will and passion and resiliency from our team, you know, we were able to somehow make it to the other side. And that culminated with a really exciting fundraise and recapitalization that we did with Hudson Bay Company and Aries in April of this year. You know, that really gave us the shot in the arm that we needed as well as the capital. And now we're back to doing what we enjoy doing, which is growing and, you know, I think taking advantage of what's probably an even bigger opportunity in front of the company today, given the acceleration of hybrid work and flexible work because of the pandemic. And, you know, I would say the, the macro market opportunity in front of Convene is actually bigger today than it was almost three years ago pre-COVID. Yeah, I mean, that's it. it's, it's extraordinary, isn't it? And I want to ask you a bit more about that, because I think some of the the new orthodoxies that surround the hybrid models and flexible working and stuff is really interesting. But just on this point about when you do go through something that is as disruptive, as challenging, as difficult, as you said, on a human level, as well as a business level, as what's happened, is that still the best proving ground 
for genuine innovators in any sector. I mean, I don't want to be glib about the horrors of the pandemic, and we know what that's meant to so many people in so many markets. But if there is a positive, a silver lining to that particular cloud, is it that, and we've seen it in times of economic stress before, you get the best businesses doing their best work maybe during those those periods? Is it is it too soon to take that kind of view, or do you subscribe to that kind of idea? To me, I always look at it in the context of the business, but then also you or we as individuals, as you could think about collective team or organization, and that's much more of a human lens through which to think about situations like this. I would say if you look at history and moments in time, periods of dislocation tend to fuel innovation. And if you look at some of the most disruptive, respected brands and companies that are household names today, many of them were either founded and or forged in moments of adversity, whether it was the dot-com bubble crash, the 2008-2009 financial crisis. To me, this COVID and even, I think, a challenging capital markets environment and global environment that we're going to continue to operate in particular you know, I think for most of this decade, my sense is moments like this drive innovation and, and entrepreneurship. And part of that is because it's a forcing function. And so, yes, I definitely subscribe to the iron sharpens iron philosophy and that moments of chaos, if you want to think about it that way, do create the breeding ground for innovation disruption. And, you know, I, I definitely feel in our own little part of the world, the challenge that we went through over the last years definitely have accelerated the opportunity for us as a business moving forward. I think the other side of that is on a more human level, how do we as individuals, we as leaders, how do we cope and navigate through situations like this? And, you know, every great person and successful person I've ever met has had to overcome adversity and typically a tremendous amount of adversity. And one of the things that, you know, I had to do personally was to reframe this extremely challenging situation, reframe it as probably the greatest leadership test and opportunity and learning experience that I would ever see in my career and most likely my life. And it took time to do that. You know, what do they say? The seven stages or whatever it is in grief. And, and I definitely had to go through a process. But once I was able to personally reframe the situation as an incredible opportunity, that really helped at least for me personally liberate me to do what I needed to do, at least in what I could control to kind of help our team and our organization navigate its way through an existential event. If you asked most anyone, would we survive two years with 90% of our revenue at zero, I would say most logical, practical people would say you don't really have a chance. And thankfully, we didn't believe that ourselves and we maintained hope and optimism. And I think that's a big part of the reason why we were able to survive and most importantly, now position ourselves to thrive again. Yeah, I was going to say survive and, and most definitely thrive. Let's then talk about this opportunity. And it was interesting to me, Ryan, that you describe it as potentially being even bigger, more exciting, more compelling uh, as an investment piece than it was even before the pandemic. Tell me a little bit about that, because 
there is a lot of still of uncertainty about the nature of the return to work. There's all these other new buzzwords, which we're all used to now, quiet quitting and the great resignation, all these things, which obviously have an impact on how people engage with commercial real estate, the way that they go to work, if they indeed they are going to work in the first instance. What's the, from a sort of macro level, why is that challenge more compelling now? Is it because you feel that Convene is, if not uniquely well positioned, it's better positioned even than others who are doing similar kinds of things, precisely because of the innovation you brought to this space going back over, whatever, 13 years now. Is, is that why you feel your best place to seize the opportunity that the hybrid modeling now is making much more of a norm? I'd say the answer is unequivocally yes. I think being a premium brand that's focused on really truly creating experiences, whether that's in, in the context of the workday or even for the thousands of customers that you'll come to convene to host their most important corporate meeting, events, collaboration. There is trainings, town halls. There is no doubt a flight to quality and a flight to experience that we are structurally getting the benefit of. And so I would say, yes, from a brand, from a quality, from a kind of experiential offering holistically, I do believe that we're better positioned than any other platform out there, at least for the customers that we serve, which you know, I would say tend to be more enterprise focused and, and definitely more progressive in the way that they think about their workplace strategy and delivering experience for both their employees as well as their clients. And then I'd say on a more macro level, we've been surveying and talking to end users for almost 13 years now. And what we've always heard is choice, flexibility, and experience. That those are the three things that every employee we've ever talked to has desired. And I think there was a disconnect between the desires of enterprise and or management, if you want to think about it that way, and of the actual team and employee base that makes up most organizations, whether it be corporate or not-for-profit or government agency, doesn't really matter. And what COVID did is it created no other option but to give people that flexibility and choice in this whole remote work from home experience. And once you give people that flexibility, that choice and the experience, then you can't really take it away, right? That genie is kind of out of the bottle. And I think what we've seen is that most of our customers most senior leadership at the firms that we're working with understand that you're going to have to offer talent more choice, more flexibility, and to bring them back to the office or get them to show up at a meeting, the bar for experience is higher than it's ever been. And that's everything from the design of the space to the seamlessness of the technology offering to the menu to the content of the meeting to who's in attendance and why do I want to show up is because I really want to build relationships and collaborate and network and do all of those things with coworkers and clients. And, you know, look at the end of the day, we're in the convening business, right? You know, we're in the business of, of bringing people together with intention. And to me, the future of work is probably more about convening than it is heads down individual work. And so I think we're incredibly well positioned as a brand and as a platform. 
That was Ryan Simonetti, CEO and co-founder of Convene. And you can learn more about the business. Head to convene.com now. Well, let's continue our exploration of the future of the office and the workplace. I'm delighted next up to welcome Kit Office's Steve Colson to the programme now. Steve, great to have you with us. There's plenty to cover. I want to ask you a bit about co-founder relationships, which is super interesting and an area I know you have some particularly relevant insights into. But before that, though, Steve, um, let's go back to basics a little to start with. What does Kit, what does Kit actually do? We are solving a problem we had when we were scaling our last business, which was we were a team of 100 and we wanted a space where everything was done for you, but you could make it your own. So we didn't want the hassle, but we wanted to customize and build it for ourselves. So we built a business where as a customer, if you're a team of 50 to 500 people, we find the perfect building, we design it with our interior design team for you, and then we manage absolutely everything else in a single package. So you can find the space, design it, manage it, and get on with your business. And I guess the nature of the work and the nature of the conversations that you have with clients has probably changed a lot in the last couple of years, obviously, because of what we all know about the pivoting work conditions and all the rest of it. Are you, it strikes me, I know the answer to this already, but I'll ask you nevertheless, are you one of those people that sees great opportunity here? And although there are challenging circumstances still, there is nevertheless an opportunity and actually that really smart businesses, clever innovators will do maybe their best work against this kind of backdrop. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, if you went back to March 2020, did I have my head in my hands thinking, why did I start this business a year ago? The answer was in the short run, yes. But the thing that we felt with COVID was anything that was true before COVID would only be more true afterwards. I don't believe in kind of paradigm shifts that reverse things. I think they accelerate what was already there in many respects. And so the things that were true was that real estate was important but hard and that the market was geared against the customer, but that actually it was moving back towards the customer and in their favor. That was true before COVID and that just massively accelerated. And so we've seen the same thing. What I would say is having only had 12 months or so of, of trading before COVID, we haven't had a normal environment. Who would have thought of five lockdowns and now a global recession was what we've signed up for. But inevitably, again, if you have if you have a good business, it will still be a good business. It just takes a lot more conviction when the immediate evidence is a bit scary. And so we had to do a lot more kind of long term thinking as well as short term thinking to get through it. But I think it's meant we've built the business better in truth. And actually, what I wanted to sort of zero in a little bit on today is part of the mechanics of the experience of building that stronger business and indeed how you make sense of that longer term time horizon. That's relying on your on your co-founders and your your colleagues. Yeah. Now, I know I think you've got some past experience with this that, you know, setting up businesses is hugely challenging. You need great people around you, of course. But specifically that co-founder relationship, there are so many potentially great businesses that have founded because there's fissures in the relationships between the the co-founders. Is it one of these things, Steve, where there is a secret to a great co-founder relationship? I mean, tell us a bit about your own experiences. You don't know what you need in a great founder until you're pushed to the absolute limit. And I think all of the things that I thought that Lucy and I needed from one another turned out to be nice to have. So I thought it was about complementary skills. You need to be good at different things. And I was like, that's nice to have. It's, it's good, but it's not, it's not the main thing. 
I also thought it was a kind of alignment on where the business was going. And I was like, well, good luck getting that because it's going to change every week for a while. And then every month and every quarter, and it, it always changes. So it's, it's not that either. As I thought about it more, and we've gone through lots of ups and downs, it feels more akin to a professional marriage than it does a kind of meeting of two entrepreneurial minds in that the things are important in, let's say, a partnership like that, for me, are trusting each other's intentions and being able to have that phone call where you apologize and say sorry and move on and are stronger as a result of it. Now, those things, again, don't feel obvious. But when you are in the midst of, do we need to pivot? Or I really disagree with you on what we're about to do here. Or the way you said that really annoyed me and now I'm acting irrationally as a result. If you can't have those conversations, you're not building a relationship, you can't build a relationship, you can't build a culture, you can't build a culture, you can't attract a team, you can't build a business. And so we found time and time and time again, me being able to know that Lucy at her very core, I could give her my pin number and I would trust her intentions and that she would put the business and probably me above her own interests and I to her. That's ended up being the thing that I think is our strongest, strongest bit and everything else is a nice to have and it matters, but you could live without it. Well, I guess then on a more sort of fundamental level, then the important thing is to establish those very fundamental values early on yeah. as they are in a strong personal relationship. How does one go about doing that? Because by its nature, as you said, you won't find out what happens when the chips are down until that moment of, of extreme pressure. But there must be, I guess, hints and tips to try and isolate what the core values are. How, how did you guys go about doing that? So we'd had the benefit of running a business before. So we were running a company called Just Park, which we scaled together, which was really good fun and learned tons from that experience about each other as well as how to build something. I think what we did before we started, about a week before, is we sat down and we had a three-hour lunch, which is hyper unusual for us. It's normally at the desk. And we said, we're going to get everything out. Tell me what's great about the other person. Tell me what's slightly frustrating. Tell me the lessons we learned from the past. And then let's build a bit of a one-page manifesto. And it's for people like us, we're not kind of on the touchy-feely end of the personality spectrum, let's call it. So it's very unnatural. But we found it super helpful to have written down, here's what we stand for, here's what we believe, and here's what we would kind of build the business around. And then I think, it's all very well good doing that, but then you're two weeks in and you're already going back and some of the commitments you've made is then what is the mechanism to make sure you're revisiting that manifesto and either saying, I need to change the way I'm operating right now, or we need to revisit what the content of that is. And again, it's iterating towards the truth that's already there that Steve and I both of you and trying to make it more and more real. So we found a combination of we do a, a monthly lunch where we're not allowed to talk about the specifics of work, but we have to talk about values is important. And believe it or not, we now have a once a week coffee where we have to ask each other one of five questions, which are like, are you feeling stressed? How's everything going at home? And it's like, again, hyper unnatural for us, but it's so important. I find this really interesting. And I guess there's probably lots of founders, maybe founders of first businesses, not serial entrepreneurs who are listening to this and thinking, God, I can really, that really resonates with me. And that's something we're trying to, to address. To that point, I think a lot of startups and maybe scale ups find this issue with their founding teams that maybe there is some duplication in what they do, even if that's worrying unnecessarily about the the same things how do you make sure that you play to your respective strengths or in mitigation against respective weaknesses to ensure that you are as efficient as possible in the work you're doing day to day yes i think in terms of how we how we try to get the best 
out of one another and not overlap and and kind of release one another, I guess, is how, how we think about it. One of the things that we have learned and it's become a strength, but ultimately now we're a team of 65, we're having to unlearn. The thing that gets you there is often the thing that stops you getting beyond it has been consistently realigning who's in charge of what such that you can you can break away and the good thing about startups once you get beyond that initial three months of why did I quit my job to do this is you start getting some traction hopefully and then you've always got too much to do and so you have no choice but to delegate and to split into bits and helpfully because there's so much to do it's almost the conversation is less how do we not get in each other's way it's how do we make sure we're spinning enough of the plates that the customer doesn't fall over but again once you get to a certain point around 20 people we found we had to almost each month say which teams are we going to proactively manage right now and which ones are we just going to keep going and you have to keep realigning on that based on what you're learning and how you're feeling and there's not really so much of a science to it that we found that was you you go in this particular order from sales to marketing to operations or whatever it was you have a gut feel for the business. You just need to make sure as co-founders you align on it. Where we've had our biggest fallouts and our worst decision making is where we haven't been aligned on the business, but also our relationship hasn't been aligned, which means mm-hmm. your communication in small ways breaks down, which becomes a bigger and bigger issue as you go. Let's sort of wrap things up, Steve, by kind of coming back to where we started. I was asking you about, you know, what Kit is and what it does. And we kind of had to reflect just briefly on some of the specific challenges, the unique challenges of the last the last couple of years and how that's reshaped the landscape. As this continuing growth happens, as you empower those around you, as the nature of your working relationship shifts along the lines you've described so eloquently for us, what are the ambitions? What does that look like? Do you have to be very balanced in managing day-to-day expectations with that longer-term growth? How do you make sense of that longer-term time frame? And where do you hope to be in, you know, whatever time frame you want, three, five, ten years' time? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And one that if you ask me on a given day, it might change slightly. But look, I think we got into setting up a business, regardless of what it was going to be, for a few reasons. One, we were captivated with the idea that we could change an industry that needed changing to affect people's lives in some way every day. That was an ambition. We also wanted to pick a big problem and we wanted to pick an industry where the solution would be quite complicated because that's the way we're minded. And so when we started, we're saying we want something category defining, we want something that's large and we really want to make a difference in some way. So when when it comes to to this business, we're at a point where, you know, we tripled in the last year in terms of our revenue metrics and the year before. So things are starting to feel exciting. And as you start putting out your goalposts for five years, I'm now having to put more structure around what does category defining mean? And for us, it is that. But ultimately, the kind of five-year plan, we need to be in 15 cities. We need to be doing 5% market share in each of those cities. And then if you can do that and you can deliver a great customer experience there, then you are looking at a very substantial business. And I think we never really think about, oh, I want to become a unicorn, decacorn or whatever. Those things happen if you define a category. But we know how many cities we want to hit. We know how much share of that market we want to have so that we know how many people we want to make their lives slightly easier each day. And that's the frame that we're we're thinking about at this point. Any goals that are too short-term and financial end up losing a bit of a sparkle, shall we call it. Steve Colson, CEO and co-founder of managed office platform Kit. You can learn more about the business at kitoffices.com.
That's it for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back next week. Do look out in the meantime for Eureka on Friday before it puts its feet up for a couple of weeks over the holidays. The Entrepreneurs was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Jack Dewars. My thanks to them both as always. And of course, thanks once again to Ryan and all at Convene and to Steve and everyone at Kit. Listen again and find out more about the programme at monocle.com. That's where you can subscribe to the magazine or follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. To contact the Entrepreneurs team, drop me a note or email laura at lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs. <laughs>